And so my father's argument was that we needed a domestic Marshall Plan, which meant that we needed to look at acts of slavery. We needed to look at the impact of uh, taking the land and the culture um, of indigenous people. We needed to look at uh, our history of immigration and supporting refugees within this country as well and offset the harms that have been done to certain populations. My guest today is Lauren Castile, president and CEO of the Women's Foundation of Colorado. Lauren's powerful voice and leadership in the areas of gender, race, and economic equity have helped thousands of individuals throughout her career. Lauren has won many awards and accolades for her dedicated work for equal rights and social justice in philanthropy. She is a Colorado Women's Hall of Fame inductee, has been recognized for her many contributions to the Anti-Defamation League, the League of Women Voters, Colorado Women's Chamber of Commerce, the Girl Scouts, the Denver Mayor, the Rocky Mountain Region Black Economic Summit. You get the idea. So many more. You can see photos on our website of Lauren sharing a stage with luminaries such as Michelle Obama, Hillary Rodham Clinton, and Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. And yet, despite all these awards and the illustrious people she sometimes keeps company with, Lauren speaks and works from a humanist, grounded place of love and respect for all people, especially those struggling to make it in a system that's been stacked against them from birth. A mother and a grandmother herself, Lauren gives honor and credit to her own success, to her remarkable parents, who are both professors as well as civil rights and community leaders. If you would please take a moment now to subscribe to this podcast wherever you watch or listen. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it with your own community. And now enjoy my conversation with the remarkable Lauren Castile. Hello, Lauren Castile. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Deborah. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. It's great to meet you. And thank you so much for, for being on the program. It's uh, you, you have a voice that's very important, so I'm excited to, to share it with people. Well, so. it's certainly just one voice among many, and I'm thrilled to have this opportunity and to see where the conversation goes. Me too. Me too. This is a new topic for me. You're the you're more of an expert than I am uh, on it. Uh, it's kind of been your life's work. So, um, so I might have you take the heavy lifting here a little bit. But let's just start by saying that you are the president and CEO of the Colorado Women's Foundation. I guess it's pronounced. I guess it's written. Women's Foundation of Colorado. Yeah, to be right. Um, but, and this is the third foundation. This is a record in Colorado. Third foundation that you have directed after uh, Denver Foundation and Buell Foundation and now and now the Women's Foundation. So that's, that's a record and congratulations. One clarification. Okay. The first foundation first. I led was uh, the Private Family Foundation of Ambassador Swanee Hunt and her oh, really? sister Helen, the Hunt Alternatives Fund, when they were jointly together, um, I was the staff person, and then they broke up into the sister fund and Hunt Alternatives Fund, uh, okay. then the Buell, and then I was a VP at the Denver Foundation. Okay. 
Well, you've won so many awards. Uh, I won't go into them all, but I will put them in the show notes for people to read because you've had really a, quite a stellar, well, you have, you've had a stellar career and, and you should be own that because you really have. And you're, you're a great role model for women in Colorado in particular, but in general. Um, but you have, and you were inducted into the Colorado uh, Women's Hall of Fame. And so that I will mention because that's quite an honor just in itself. But um so why don't we just start first with uh, finding out a little bit about what the um, foundation, the Women's Foundation of Colorado, how you support racial and gender and economic equity, and 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 that's specifically for women in Colorado, correct? Yes, that's yeah. correct. Uh, there are a number of ways. First, I should say that we are a community foundation, which means mm -hmm. that we are a foundation focused on community impact, supported by community, and we are, in that regard, a community investment institution. Mm. So um, our- As opposed to what? Like just for a people- private foundation, for example. Got it. So yeah. we have thousands of individuals and businesses and mm -hmm. other foundations uh, who support us. We have to meet what's called a public support test um, for the IRS. And so as a place that is gathering resources from the entire community to support mm -hmm. our vision, which is actually pretty simple, that women and certainly girls as they grow um, will have the opportunity to achieve prosperity regardless of their background or identity. So all women in Colorado mm -hmm. would have access to the opportunity for prosperity. And we do that through our mission, which is to catalyze our community uh, to advance and accelerate economic opportunities for Colorado, all Colorado women and their families. And so when it relates to um, you know, racial and economic and gender, those intersections of who we are as mm -hmm. people, and that would include uh, abilities, it would include countries of origin, language, um, mm. their, uh, one's uh, gender identity or expression. There are many intersections okay. within our lives. So in that regard, we use a number of tools to advance economic uh, equity and economic opportunity. And they include, of course, building resources that we apply to our grant making. Uh, over the course of the past couple of years, we've given more than $2 million mm. uh, in grants to nonprofit partners. Uh, and we also mm. have donor advised um, fund participants, donor advised fund holders who contribute as well and who give mm -hmm. grants uh, to nonprofit organizations. Similarly, our public policy, and this certainly relates, um, our topic today relates to that. Our public policy work helps us to move beyond those critical individual needs and support systems mm -hmm. uh, holistically that a woman and her family members, her children may need. And we are proud to provide, um, I wish more and we'll hope to find ways to do even more to support um, women throughout the state in that regard. But our public policy, using the example of equal pay for equal work, 
Uh, we just passed the Black Women's Equal Pay Day, and okay. Black women, for example, meaning we just went, we just hit that milestone for the year, right? The day yes, at which a little over. It sounds like we passed a law day. or something, but yeah, you right. mean yeah, exactly. But yeah, the ex law that our team led. Uh, does help to close that gap. So there had been a law in 2019 that the governor uh, signed in our office to recognize the work that we and 9 to 5 and Colorado mm -hmm. Women's Bar Association had contributed to that law. And then that law was improved uh, in hmm. the last session of the legislature okay. here in 2023. So now so, transparency is required. People can't ask about your past salary. Um, I don't know about you, but folks always used to ask me what my previous salary sure. had been, which yeah. perpetuated if you were being interesting. Yeah. It just goes on and on and on in a, yeah. in a systemic way and carrying along those histories of inequity. Right. Uh, now, if there is um, an opportunity for a woman to work uh, with the State Department of Labor and Employment to be able to go back six years, uh, still having a statute of limitation of two years, but going back to have that rectified um, relative to a oh. six-year period. So that rectified, is meaning significant. What do you mean by rectified? Who does the well, rectifying? Well, you can be paid for the full six years. So you, you could have that sue. It, it, would that be a suit that you would bring if somebody well, if you found out the that you? You know, we don't want to flood the courts. So by yeah. using the state, then they will review these cases that's and, amazing. Um, and make determinations. So oh, I've not heard that. That's yeah. quite amazing. So you yeah, work and, and, and do you introduce new legislation? And this is the state level, correct? Yes, the state level. Yeah, okay. We have not written legislation in and of itself, but certainly mm -hmm. around this law. We have, in fact, um, worked very hard with members of the legislature, with the governor's office, the mm. business community, communities yeah. at large, to ensure wow. that the law had within it um, the kinds of guidelines and actions that are necessary to really move us toward equal pay for equal work. Wow. So, you know, from an affirmative action perspective, um, that mm -hmm. is an affirmative action in and of itself, certainly Very from much so. a gender um, perspective. And when one thinks about mm -hmm. women of color, uh, you know, whether they be Black, Indigenous, um, you know, Native American, uh, and Latina, certainly as well, uh, then that's meaningful. But that's different than the affirmative action decision that was recently made regarding higher education. Right. Um, so that's public policy, right, well our grant making, and uh, impact investing as well. Um, we support social enterprises um, and uh, other entities, the small businesses, hmm. uh, to help Did them through that. a women's impact investing giving circle. So there are only about five. I saw the giving listening. circles. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we yeah. do hold donor advised funds and giving circles uh, as mm -hmm. well and are now in the process of building resources to 
support some affordable housing. And then lastly, hmm. something you're very proud of is that our portfolio yeah. of investments are 100% invested from a gender lens perspective. So what that means is that our investment advisors and managers are looking at um, women in leadership, uh, looking at uh, shareholder advocacy, looking at environmental, social, and governance policies and practices, family-friendly policies and practices as well. So currently, also because we've had an aspiration to provide more opportunities for um, diverse managers, including Mm -hmm. women and people of color, um, about uh, 50% of our managers fall into those categories, um, 20 also being uh, people of color among that group. So let's see, when you, on these giving circles, you started to say, it was a lot. It's a lot, but that tells you how much your organ, I mean, you do so much more because honestly, in the past, I've had some sort of trouble fully understanding what Women's Foundation did uh, specifically. And I've seen, I've seen circles and I've seen, you know, I I think you give scholarships. I don't know if you mentioned specifically scholarships. You don't give scholarships. Okay. No, we do not. All right. So I had a very vague idea, even, even after reading things, I've had a bigger still somewhat vague idea. So that helps a lot. And I am actually so impressed because I had no idea that the the power and the granularity with which you go into each area of life. So it's, you're really supporting yeah. women at every single level and, and, and every, from every single background, it sounds like exactly. economically, and racially, ethnically, right. na- and even internationally. Um, yes, we do have a giving I mean, circle. I mean, if they're in Colorado, yeah. Right, right. Well, if they're yeah. an IRS 501c3, um, but maybe yeah. doing international work, we have a right. giving circle that has a particular focus on that called Beyond Our Very Borders. Very interesting. Um, but our, our general work is focused very much on the state of Colorado and public okay. policy affects every woman um, yes. in the state of Colorado. Paid family medical leave was another one of our Mm. top um, legislative priorities, just as um, don't tax dignity uh, bill. When basically what that means is that now things such as, um, you know, tampons, menstrual period related products, incontinence products, diapers um, will no longer Mm. be taxed. So... This is a a very impactful organization. It's really, really... Uh, exciting, honestly, to hear about that. All of it. Well, it's, thank it's, you. I'm, I'm surprised by the team. breadth of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can also see. Team. I'm sure you'd have to have an incredible team to accomplish all of that, but also you need leadership. Um, I don't think. I think there's been a huge. Ex- I don't want to say explosion, but a, a burst of new energy coming since you've been there in 2015. Cause I think some of these, many of these programs are new. I was somewhat familiar with it before and I'm just seeing a lot more now. So, so mm-hmm. your leadership has made a huge difference. And obviously you're very passionate. You can tell us you speak about it of how important this all is to women in Colorado. It's, it's clearly you're aligned with your, with your mission there. So, uh, which is why when you wrote that letter um, that we'll get to next, uh, it, it really struck me so viscerally because I could feel your emotion in it. Um, so, and what we're speaking about 
the U.S. Supreme Court issued a very significant ruling. Um, Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard and Students for Fair Admissions versus UNC, University of North Carolina. And the court found that Harvard and UNC, uh, their affirmative action programs violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, setting this huge ripple effect through the country of what of so many areas in diversity and equity and inclusion, all the things that everyone has been fighting for for decades and decades and decades. Um, I don't think it can be overstated the impact that these two decisions are going to have, though some people will understate it. So I guess my first question is, can you share your interpretation of that ruling and what you think it's going to mean for in a very pragmatic and practical sense, first of all. Right. Um, and we also need to mention that, um, you know, within a day or two of uh, the affirmative action, the uh, erosion, um, the death of, the end of, whatever word um, one chooses to use of affirmative yes. action, that uh, debt um, forgiveness also um, mm-hmm. went down. And so those two yeah. things together related to higher education um, are significant. I think that what really struck me and the emotion that I felt, and certainly I am a Black woman who benefited from affirmative action when, um, uh, although the 1977 ruling hadn't occurred, but consciousness, uh, when I started college in 1971, and there were only... 50 black students on the Swarthmore campus where I attended. And uh, providing those kinds of opportunities as my father, who was executive director of the National Urban League, uh, had advocated for and became a part of the Johnson administration's Mm. war on poverty was a concept of the Marshall Plan Um, This country has a history Mm. when there has been disaster or war or um, some decimating uh, event or series of events to help rebuild. And so my father's argument was that we needed a domestic Marshall Plan, which meant that we needed to look at acts of slavery. We needed to look at the impact of taking the land and the culture um, of indigenous people. We needed to look at uh, our history of immigration and supporting refugees within this country as well, and offset Mm. the harms that have been done to certain populations. So certainly our system of slavery and um, the racial implications that carry on to this very day. Uh, we talked about the reckoning around race when George Floyd was murdered. Um, I don't know that we have reckoned with it. That seems to imply that we have come to some uh, clear understanding and movement forward uh, to move past it. Uh, This decision, the affirmative action decision, in my mind, reaffirmed the fact that we have not reckoned um, with Mm -hmm. the harm that has been caused by racist, misogynistic, um, uh, 
you know, also indigenous uh, canceling and harm uh, of cultures, new studies coming about uh, Indian schools every day and the harm that was done to yes. those children. So yes. um, I think it is in terms of this particular thing, the, what I said in the letter that I wrote was that I am bereft and outraged. Um, I do yeah. believe that if we have the ability to look at socioeconomics factors or military background or mm. extracurricular activities, right? They matter. Kids will do all kinds of things. Um, oh, yes. Replying for school to, you know, reinforce their resumes so that they have they extracurricular activities. Why should the historic um roles that have been played in the lives of entire communities um not also be considered it bothers me um i come from a family of privilege that doesn't bother me but um i recognize that i come from a family of privilege and there are many systems today that are in fact affirmative action for people of wealth um, when we think about legacy students uh, who are getting into college and that conversation uh, similarly is going on uh, today. Definitely that's, that is being addressed. At least it's come up and this may have brought mm -hmm. that up and, and, and strengthened the, the focus on that a little bit more. And just right. for people who may not know, if they don't know about the legacy system, it's just that if, mm -hmm. if your father went to Harvard, your mother went to Harvard or, or any number of um, mm -hmm. higher profile schools, then you have an automatic, I don't know if it's an automatic in, but you certainly have a, a leg up Priority. on the system in yeah. terms of getting in. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, which obviously keeps the privilege going through generation after generation. So absolutely. And that is still in place. That has never been knocked down by a Supreme Court. And I don't know if it's been challenged in the Supreme Court, the legacy system. Not in the Supreme Court, but the conversation is certainly yeah. occurring. And a lot of people don't realize, again, going back to systems, that mm -hmm. the GI Bill provided profound opportunity for a generation, right? Our parents, I'm assuming, I think we're both boomers. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, but my family, probably if you had military in your family, my father served in the all black troops during World War mm. II. But a lot, most of those soldiers who came back to the United States, especially in the Jim Crow South, did not have access to higher education. They weren't allowed um, right. into those schools at that time in the late 40s. And similarly, were um, not allowed to buy the track homes that began to build the multi-generational mm. Um, wealth and assets. We all know the role that home ownership plays. Uh, my parents were fortunate, but they they made a sacrifice. They traveled from the South um, to Minnesota and attended mm. were able to use the GI Bill at the University really? of Minnesota. Um, wow. There were a number of um, Black, former Black soldiers uh, who did that, but far less opportunities existing. And so the wealth gap today in particular um, between black families and white families can be tied 
very directly to that historic discrimination of Jim Crow and the mm -hmm. usage or lack of ability to use uh, the GI Bill. So what do you think is going to happen at this point in terms of other universities? Are they, is your understanding that um, it's a Supreme Court law, but does that prevent, say, the University of Denver, where you're located, from using affirmative action? I, well, is I'm that not how an you attorney, understand it? so I have to give yeah. the great big caveat. And um, yeah. our offices are certainly located at the University uh, of Denver. I can't speak to their practices. Every one of us who cares deeply about um, racial equity, and this is about this affirmative action case, is about race very explicitly. Mm -hmm. um, I believe absolutely will continue to adhere to the letter of the law. What I have read though, is that there um, are a number of strategies, for example, of how one recruits mm -hmm. from high schools um, for, for these schools, um, how one uses the demographics of, of the geography of the communities, uh, surrounding a particular, uh, university. Uh, so I think that there are, um, ways that people can stay within the context of the law, but by the same token, um, not step away from their core values and the belief that Interesting. more diverse student bodies, right? In fact, enhance the education for everyone. The more we are exposed to uh, a wider range of backgrounds, identities, lived experiences, cultures, um, then the better our society is. And that at one time, when we think about uh, those who uh, escaped Europe and came to the United States. At one time, we celebrated uh, that diversity of people who came to this country and helped to build that country. Um, sadly, we, we though, did and we didn't. I mean, we did and we didn't. We've sadly, always, yeah, though, yeah. Um, their othering occurs um, in many, many different ways based on language, based on culture, right. names that were changed. And again, if I go back yes. to um, our indigenous communities in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, it is interesting how color in and of itself remains a barrier um, within this country, uh, that that in and of itself is sometimes yes. uh, or I mean, oftentimes or all the time uh, can be a deterrent. Um, when we think about uh, the role of police within our society, and uh, I, I believe in our having a system um, that involves justice, um, that involves ensuring um, our safety and protection, but the biases okay. that exist, simply if one happens to be um, you know, driving while black, if you're a young man in particular, um, if there are minor infractions uh, that occur, uh, you know, on the street or in a traffic situation, then race mm -hmm. is undeniably a factor. 
Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. we've all the become are... more aware of that in, in the last couple of years, you know, with so many shootings, so many high profile shootings of, of, of black men in particular, black women as well. But mm-hmm. um, I think it has brought the conversation. Undoubtedly, it's brought the conversation back. But still, as you were talking, you know, it's just this. It's just in the slightest measure, it seems to me, you know, it, it went on, there was conversation, it was very robust. Um, my, my, my niece is, is black and uh, I had never heard in all the years that I've known her until I saw her write an op-ed, I get teary every time I talk about it because I'm like, how have I not known these experiences that you've had? There's been a lot of suppressed conversation mm-hmm. and that brought it up for a while. I was a mm-hmm. diversity trainer for 10 years. I, you know, there's, I, I, and I knew nothing, you know, I can see that now. I was like, that was, I was flying blind. We only know, I think that the, the more privilege in the, in the white population of this country has been very blinded. And what, what's so concerning to me about this case is that we were just starting to get to a point where people were talking about it, although it kind of went up and went back down. It hasn't been a steady conversation. Um, but to have a Supreme Court decision like this, I'm just wondering to me, and I'll just refer back to one of your other other points about you saying the wealth has, you know, there's these systemic situations and, and guidelines in uh, and interpretations of the law that have kept particularly people of color from attaining wealth. One of those is buying homes and inability to buy homes. And I just read something, I think, in the last week or so about a uh, you know, a black couple who couldn't get the, you know, the loan that they wanted or couldn't get the house they wanted. These things were, you know, a white couple went in, did the same thing and got it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're a little bit more aware, but we're just a little bit more aware. And, and the belief of these systemic systems that to understand the power of them still feels like it, white America is not getting it. So when I see something like the Supreme Court decision that's going to further nullify that progress, I, I mean, I, I'm wondering what if you believe that that decision is really going to turn things back. Your, your I, father, you know, studies have shown that right. um, uh, in states, and, and again, I'm not a researcher or a data person, so I'm going to paraphrase, uh, but studies have certainly shown that um, erosion. So a comprehensive study in states um, of medical school, I think it was, um, in states that banned affirmative action, uh, that there had been a devastating impact with enrollment by students of underrepresented groups. So if one declining by a third, I think it was. So if one also thinks about the conversation now about black maternal health that is based on outcomes Mm. are based solely on race, right? So Serena Williams, Allison Felix, you know, these, uh, you know, icons, uh, for example, in sports who have all kinds of privilege, found themselves not being believed in the medical system um, and facing potential life or death situations uh, at uh, during their pregnancies or at the time of birth. And so if we don't have doctors who also are in the pipeline, who are representative of the full diversity of our country, then in fact, those outcomes can be affected, 
We also know when there is diversity of teachers, right? So higher education, teaching degrees helps to enhance the achievement of all students. Um, so yes, I am afraid of the, the chilling effect that many of these um, entities will have throughout our society. Yeah. Uh, similarly, I think it was 11 attorney generals wrote letters, wrote a letter, a joint letter, um, saying that uh, DEI programs, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that are often a part of and increasingly become a part of um, businesses and business practices, um, that those or in, where there would be um, any federal monies, but that those kinds of things um, are also being shut down. And so I guess the part was that-, that prior, prior to the decision they were after, being shut down? After, that was after. Oh, really? Yeah. So there and was then, an immediate response. An immediate, wow. an immediate. Um, so, um, suits wow. against funds, um, investment funds that um, were supporting explicitly um, black, uh, you know, venture capital um, things. So those kinds of things um, are happening. But what it is, is it's dehumanizing. Okay. But what it is saying Explain is that, that there are groups of people who's who we who have historically been um, kept down, right? Who have historically um, had opportunities ripped from them. That now that is literally allowable. Um, even they say it could roll down, and I don't know if this is true, but into high schools um, could be affected. Private high schools um, could hmm. also be, or magnet schools, wherever there's a selection, um, some sort of a selective yeah. process uh, for students in education. Wow. So uh... we don't know yet. Right, but it's not looking promising. I, I'm I'm actually quite shocked to hear that the diversity, inclusion, equity programs that have been uh, already looked at as is it is it funding for them, or are you saying that businesses themselves are just choosing to suddenly? No, I um the letters, and I should have pulled it up for you. The letter from oh, that's all right from these attorney generals. Um, I uh, find it, but you know it. Yeah, there could be, you know, funding for DEI, you know, for groups that have DEI programs is my understanding. So I yeah. urge your audience to look into that yeah. separately. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm going to find that and put that. In. Yeah, private corporations can still do what they want. But you were saying something sure. earlier about, um, you know, the fact that these conversations were elevated at the time of the murder of George Floyd at the time in the pandemic, when the veil was ripped off about the role that um, people of color play on the front lines of our medical system as nurses, when we think about um, our childcare systems and women again, you know, in each of those entities um, being on the front lines and trying to 
um, support making work work, trying to support uh, better health care. But yeah, uh, sadly, our interest wanes and self-interest mm. begins to become more dominant. What uh, is the self-interest? How is that? I mean, th there have been a number of corporations who have flourished with a greater yes. amount. I mean, they see the different viewpoints coming, that yes. how much that helps build a better product. How is that helping these companies or anyone I think, to, I to not have those? Those companies um, will, in fact, maintain uh, their values. I think those who mm -hmm. may and commitments. Uh, I, I really like to believe that when I think about, mm. you know, entities, we have our luncheon coming up in September, which is the largest fundraiser in the state for Colorado women. And the amount of support that we receive and sponsorships from, you know, large corporations, whether here in Colorado, it's First Bank or Excel or IMA. I mean, there are a number. There's a group in Colorado, um, Colorado's Inclusive Economy, that is made up of businesses that recognize what you just said, that we're better mm -hmm. for it. Um, businesses yeah. are more profitable uh, when right. they have it's a very tangible more, improvement. Yes, there's tangible yeah. evidence of that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when opportunity is in fact given and when there are teams that become as a result uh, more creative and more dynamic in moving uh, whatever the business interests may be and supporting its constituents or its clients or consumers. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering what you think about uh, the, the reasoning behind this decision. Um, I don't know if you've read all the arguments pro and con. Um, I know that Justice Katani Brown Jackson, who's the first mm -hmm. uh, fe black. black female justice mm -hmm. on the Supreme Court, she said deeming race irrelevant in life does not make it so, or sorry, deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. And I'm wondering, is that what the thinking was that they thought it was irrelevant, that race is no longer irrelevant, or is there something more sinister going on here? You know, it's hard for me to say, is this something about... Um, I know, you can't put yourself in their heads. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I it's know. hard to I say. I don't but, ask you to. But one has to ask oneself, oneself um, you know, questions about as our um, global demographics shift, um, the global majority is, in fact, people of color, if there's some sort of threat um, to the infrastructure and the historic infrastructure of our system that has mm -hmm. favored, for example, um, white men systemically. And I need to also be clear, there are many white men who are allies uh, and who demonstrate allyship. Well, of course, of course. For women right. and, um, and for, you know, those different abilities who see people as people. But for us to be so yeah. naive to, as to believe in colorblindness, um, is a terrible mistake. That means you're not seeing me at all. So when I right. think about it is not, um, it is not so in life. Uh, when I and members of my family, I have two grandsons who are black and Navajo. When they move through the world, you cannot tell me that they are not seen um, in that context uh, by the world. 
and the judgments about who they are or what their abilities might be are not made at some biased, uh, deeply biased level by some people. I think we also have to be careful about exceptionalism, right? You know, where we lift up, um, you know, individuals as well. They did that and they did that. Yes. Yes. We had a black president. Everything's fixed, right? (laughs) Yes. And it has been interesting since that presidency, um, the movement of erosion of voting rights, um, uh, we have to be aware of all of the rights that yes. are being eroded at this time, yes. including we didn't talk about the Dobbs decision. I read a headline the other day and it was so sickened that I could not read the full story. So I can't tell you where this was, but the headline said she was not allowed to have an abortion. She is now a mother and she starts seventh grade tomorrow. Yes. Now. Um, so, and, and there again are clear studies around access to the the range. I know. I mean, you can't even, I see why you couldn't, I, you can't even, I can't even keep hearing you. I almost feel like I like fainted when you said that. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you ill. It absolutely makes you ill. Yeah. It really does. And, um, so all (sighs) of the rights, um, that are being eroded, for us to have bodily autonomy. Again, I've mentioned voting, um, you know, the affirmative action decision um, are having profound effects. And we also know that there is a clear linkage to having access to abortion um, that also ties to economic security as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I think of the programs that we fund and support uh, that support you know, individual women and families and community through our grant making, our key principles involve um, access to education and training, whatever that training may be. Today, if someone can have specialized training in artificial intelligence, good on them, right? That Mm -hmm. is going to be a role for for the future Um, or other technical kinds of training as you know, there are many options beyond the post um, sure, in of addition course. Yeah, college, to traditional college, in addition to four right. year college. Um, jobs with pay and benefits, um, capital for women entrepreneurs, child care and caregiver support. So if in fact um, people can't get jobs with good pay and with benefits because of lack of access to education and training, we have a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Given the cost Mm -hmm. of housing, certainly in Colorado, um, I've been traveling the state over the course of the past month, and there are issues that come up over and over again in both our urban and rural communities. Housing and uh, affordable housing certainly being one. The other one is um, healthy food. Uh, you know, access to to food, um, childcare is another one. Women in particular who are sandwiched between aging parents and Very younger difficult. children and having mm-hmm. caregivers available for those aging parents. I believe we should have 24-hour childcare. 
uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we know what child what happened to childcare during the pandemic, and the ability of yeah. people to work. We also and, and the um, ripple effects still going on from that. You know, yeah, it's still every, going all on. these things have major implications major. in the following decades. Yes, yeah, major. even if. Like even the, you know, even the Supreme Court decision, if even if it, they reversed it in two years, it would already take, I bet, a decade to, re, it, you know, these a things. A pipeline of excellence, yeah. you know, um, and I don't want young people to lose a sense of hope that shows up in not voting, mm-hmm. for example, not considering um, future options because they assume that opportunity doesn't exist when communities lose what feels like a sense of agency and yeah. a, and a Hope plan of opportunity, then they lose hope. Uh, the other thing that we do through our grant making is we give nonprofit, our nonprofit grantee partners who are doing incredible work on the ground. I have to tell you, um, you know, I, I struggle between um, being both when I travel inspired and also feeling dismay because of the sacrifices that I see individuals Uh making uh, on behalf of their communities. We have to figure out there is wealth in this community, there is abundance, how we can give more. But one one of the things that we need to do, um, as well as to recognize that women's having extra cash in their pockets is not a bad thing. The stereotype of the welfare uh, queen still haunts us. It's a despicable Mm. stereotype um, that exists out there. What we know from our um, programs through what we call WINCOME, Women with Income, and also um, as a part of our funding for Women and Girls of Color Fund, is that there are a number of things that need to be done. One is to support leaders, community leaders, oftentimes leaders of color who know their communities, um, women of color in particular who know their communities Mm -hmm. and who are working on the ground and we need to do it fully and strongly. The other thing is that if we give uh, a little extra cash goes into a woman's pocket, that car she hasn't been able to get new tires for, um, she can get new tires. She can pay a medical copay. Um, for much needed medication. Mm -hmm. Um, She can get, because (laughs) this is an example I use a lot, Um, but folks don't realize that um, supplemental government programs don't pay for a rotisserie chicken or diapers. So during the pandemic, everybody's like, you know, use hand sanitizer. It it doesn't pay for that. You can't get cooked food. with what many people would think of as being oh, uh, sitting in judgment somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Not deserving but it. diapers. Okay. I mean, how do you, how does one argue diapers? You could, I could see they make an argument for cooked versus non-cooked food crazily, I, but you know, when someone's working three jobs, I, yeah, mean, I know, I know when my home and, coming home and having to start right. yeah. with a, a, you know, a raw yeah. chicken that you've got to prepare as opposed to, a rotisserie chicken and the prices might not yes and their children getting nutrition and them getting nutrition yeah absolutely so folks i think you're saying that people don't seem to know or understand or even want 
to listen. So I hope the yeah. Women's Foundation of Colorado remains a place where, yes, we have core values. We have a core focus around gender, racial, and economic equity, but we're also a place of dialogue and, um, you know, a place where um, women, however they may define themselves from uh, the perspective of one's gender identity or gender expression, um, mm -hmm. are all welcomed within our community. Uh, and I, next, uh, on the 21st for our annual luncheon, I'm thrilled that we will have Sally Krawcheck, um, who is a titan of Wall Street, um, who will be in conversation with one of our trustees, who's also the founder of the New Community Transformation Fund, talking about not only the economy, but what can be done to close uh, the wealth gap. More importantly, whether it's through our time, our talent, our treasure, our testimonial, you know, for us, whether it's through our, our grant making on the ground, whether it's through our portfolio, but how can we invest in women? It doesn't make sense that 50% of the population um, should not have uh, equal and equitable opportunities. It is not logical that just as we had the, um, you know, Marshall Plan to rebuild uh, communities after World War II, that we would not rebuild communities here within our own country mm -hmm. who have suffered um, for generations. Is your luncheon open to the public or do you have to be it a is. member? Or, you can get so. tickets um, at, yeah. uh, on our homepage of our website, is, which is wfco.org, Women's Foundation Colorado. Dot .org, um, mm -hmm. you will see a picture of Sally Krawcheck and the um, announcement for the luncheon. Uh, tickets begin at $75. Of course, sponsorships uh, go up much higher. Uh, mm -hmm. There are also individual tables. So go to our website. Okay. Um, yeah. Having support, those resources uh, are the resources that help us that move on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah, to really I, do I, our philanthropic work and we're a philanthropic but, institution. We are community investment. You're, you're making, uh, I would love to encourage people to, to attend that. And I will put the website on there and the link oh, to thanks, specifically Deborah. to where tickets, because this is one way, because one of my questions for you is what is one way I mean, there's a number of ways that we can mm -hmm. sort of combat this this overarching decision that we can't reverse. But um, first, one way would be to support organizations like yours, and and this is a great way to do it, and also learn something and and be a part of community building as well. I think it would be to attend that luncheon. So I don't know how many seats you have, but hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully you have a lot of tickets left. We've had, <laughs> um, uh, we do we do have um, tickets left, and um, you know okay. we are the history of our luncheon. We have certainly had a lot of star power in the in the past, you know, celebrities, yeah. whether uh, Octavia Spencer or um, Misty Copeland, Billie Jean King, America yeah. Ferreira, uh, you know, Fun. Time yeah. Hillary Clinton, uh, Michelle Obama, 
uh, joined us, um, just us at the Pepsi Center in 2017, her first nice. uh, public event before she even did her book That's tour. That's amazing. Yeah. Really? This Good for you. Is yeah. unique um, because I think at this time, uh, when we talk about gender, racial, and economic equity together, uh, to really talk about what it means to invest in women um, at all levels of investment, mm -hmm. there is nothing more timely. And we will have powerful videos of some of our grantees that are yeah, doing the work. That'd be great. Uh, yeah, and I'd love to see that. As well. So it's always heartfelt and energetic and informative. Yeah. And uh, we would love to have your your listeners join us. I hope to see you. I, yeah, actually, I know. I've, I've already decided I'm definitely going to be there. So that's, that's a for sure. Um, and I do feel like, you know, I, I think I'd mentioned to earlier what CNN um, commentator Van Jones was talking about this ruling and the other ruling. Um, LGBTQ ruling that came right after yes, that. Yes, our LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, but like, as he's saying, he said this ruling is a tragedy resulting from a deliberate strategy by conservatives to influence the court. Um, you know, we, we don't have to get overly political, but there is a strategy. Well, it's, we, pretty, it's pretty obvious at this point. Yeah, there has been, and, just like the Dobbs decision, a, yeah, a, a march toward a particular outcome that yes. has yes. been well-funded and well-supported for an extended period of time, which yeah. goes back to my concern that I hope that people don't fall back into a place of fear who share no. values of what right. gender, racial, and economic equity means. And I am including um, you know, intersections, LGBT, LGBTQIA plus community. I'm talking about our disabled community. I'm talking about transgender um, women. I'm talking about Black, Latina, uh, you know, Asian. Think about the Asian violence that went on within this country. If we don't really reckon in our hearts and in our actions, as individuals and in a society, the erosion that I feel um, can be terrifying, but it cannot be immobilizing. Uh, and, no, so, and, and we need to find those ways to take action. We're, you just yes. mentioned all the groups that you mentioned. We're talking about a plurality. There's a, a lot plurality. of power in that. And those, all of us together can totally make a difference. We just have to believe that we can. You do have to hold on to hope. Mm -hmm. um, I think supporting organizations like yours is critical to that. I think running for office is critical for that. Yes. Run for something is a great organization supporting women and women of color in running for office. I really you know, encourage people to uh, check out runforsomething.org, I believe it is, but the organization is called Run for Something. But whether we're running for something, whether we're voting for something, you know, to I, now people, I hear the uh, people using the word citizen as a verb. And I think that's what we need to start doing is we need to start citizening. <laughs> we need to start taking action as citizens and taking it back. Cause when you don't completely, you do, you're, you know, it's like democracy. If we can keep it. And this is sort of the same thing. Can we keep our power? Can we keep what's, what has been coming? And certainly for people of color, 
this is a strike and a yeah. strike against women and strike yeah. against people. Of it color, is a so. strike and we can't give away yeah. that power. So we have to be motivated. Um, we have to see the conditions as I traveled around the state. I know stories of people living in fear because of documentation status. Yes. Um, yes. And, and oftentimes providing the backbone of our agricultural systems, truth be told. Um, and so for many decades, that's been, yeah, yeah. For generations, generations. Yeah. And so it is, if in fact that plurality, um, if we can awaken that sleeping giant of believing that we are all better together, right? Those are the tenants that we were told hold our country together. And what we're seeing is that our country is in fact experiencing a a ripping at the seams in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So it is critical that that plurality, I'm going to keep saying that word, um, Mm. (laughs) that that we, we the people, um, Mm -hmm. come together for the benefit, and I would say at the Women's Foundation, of all women. Our goal is to build a state that is, in fact, a place where all women rise and all women thrive. That is who we are. That is our community investment. But we also recognize that there are people who have been left behind and we need to redistribute resources to those folks to ensure that in fact opportunity doors open to them. So I, I love everything that you just said, and it was very powerful. So I didn't want to interrupt a single word because I feel the power of that, and I feel the promise of that, and and I feel the importance of that. Um, I would add that one thing that I think has sort of gotten us in this position that we're in, where where things are eroding, has to do with the division between you know, the red and the blue and the, and, and all this in our, in our country. And there are a lot of white men who have um, never seen the promise of what more privileged white men have had. And I think a lot of that has driven some of this anger forward, feeling that they were left out as well. So I guess just to say, um, you know, to, to stand up for oneself, to stand up for one's rights and one's group's right, you know, your, your nationality, your, your ethnicity, your, your, your gender, whatever, whatever the case may be, is not to say that other people don't deserve it. And, and sometimes that's how these types of movements uh, get right. I have negated a and, and, and talked down. Yeah. I have a friend who is a transgender white man. Um, the uh, gender assigned to him at birth, um, his sex was as a female. And as soon as he fully transitioned, he said immediately mm-hmm. the world treated him differently. Um, he has a oh beard. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Immediately really? as a white man, the world treated him differently. Um, Mm. The way they shared space with him, the way they listened to him in meetings, um, all of those kinds of things um, that without knowing anything about him, the fact that he was a a white male 
gave him instantaneous privileges. Mm. He said it was one of the most startling experiences that he'd had because it was so fast. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I've not heard a story like that. That's really interesting. So, you know, Mm. um, absolutely. Um, Are there, uh, if we think, are there people of all backgrounds and identities living in poverty? There's no question. Are there people of all backgrounds and identities who, because of some circumstance, um, may not have had uh, opportunity? There is no question about that. The difference is that society was not established to prevent them from opportunity. Mm -hmm. And for many uh, within this country, uh, there have been clear efforts to prevent them from going to the same school. So if we go back to uh, 1953 and the um, separate is not equal, Brown versus the Board of Education uh, law. It's very clear, and I happen to have attended segregated schools in Atlanta. Um, my hmm. uh, Did you my, really? Yeah. I am old you... enough to go back to Jim Crow. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> and people are well, surprised it well. when I say yeah. that is my lifetime. That is my yeah. lifetime. That, so, that was your experience. It even surprised me. Experience. In it. Yeah, it yeah. Segregated neighborhood, attended segregated schools, and you know, access to the best textbooks um, were different. Mm-hmm. And so, where my privilege came in, because my parents were able to go to um, the University of Minnesota and get their masters. They had both gone and met at um, Kentu- oh. Kentucky State, which is. Um, a historical black college. And, but after the war, they, they went way north, <laughs> like way, way north. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they did. They did. Yeah. And, um, but they both taught at HBCUs in Atlanta. My mother at school, oh. my father at Atlanta uh. University. Oh. And so even with their education, though, the textbooks that were available to me in elementary school, were not of the same caliber. And I then had an opportunity. My reading was a little bit delayed, much to my mother's dismay. And it wasn't that my parents didn't read to me uh, or things of that sort. Um, You know, when I walked to school, uh, because my mother was teaching uh, Mrs. Um, Barrett on her way to catch the bus to go clean houses would walk me to the school, you know, a couple of blocks up the street because she was a domestic worker in white homes. So I also grew Mm. up in a neighborhood, a black neighborhood, where I saw philanthropy of caring and support and, you know, whether it was providing food or rent parties or childcare or anything of that nature um, would occur. Before my father Uh, moved to become the executive director of the National Urban League, where he was one of the big six of the civil rights movement. I saw him all over the place as we celebrated the 
60th anniversary of the oh, March of Washington. Oh, yeah. Right. And he um, gave his speech and was involved in the March of Washington, Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was That's... one of the, um, many of the meetings were held in his office and was one of the absolute leaders of, of that. But he, before he got that position, philanthropy, a Rockefeller grant, allowed him to go to Harvard for a year. And mm. I ended up going from Oglethorpe Elementary School in Atlanta, Georgia, segregated South, to Buckingham School for Girls. There happened to be one Black teacher in the school who was the second grade teacher. Betty Rollins was her name. And she, I can't tell you what a difference it made to me to have this teacher um, believe in my capacity to spur my curiosity, um, to help me to overcome uh, my reading uh, and other detriments, you know, in my educational background uh, that I had experienced. It made a difference if I were going to say, other than That's my amazing. parents or my family, that yeah. I am where I am today. It would be because Betty Rollins was given the opportunity uh, to get her teaching degree and that she was also welcomed at Buckingham School for Girls and that all of the other students, as a result, got to meet someone who I believe she changed their lives as well as mine. So to not have those that you just opportunity... You just gave the entire reasoning why this ruling is so harmful and why the idea for equal access to education is so critical. I mean, you are, yeah. you're such a, we such a role model and, and this education. is a second grade teacher. Yeah. We're Betty not talking Holland. about a PhD. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I went second to grade. see her um, later on in life. Uh, I traveled from Colorado to um, the Boston area and found her and spent some wow. time at her home. And um, just so That's I beautiful. thank her uh, because she was pivotal. But what if she had not been able to get that teaching degree? Everything and I know changes. She One person. Lives. Yeah. She was in a, she was a phenomenal That's a beautiful story. Teacher. A phenomenal teacher. So that's almost a mic drop moment because you just like you just explained it all with that story. And it really it makes me very emotional hearing about it because people often think they're grade school teachers. But the idea of seeing someone who looks like you, people don't get the importance of it. you hear people say it a lot. There's no one that looked like me. And then mm -hmm. there was that one person who did and it changed everything because it just says I belong. You belong. You mm -hmm. know, you don't think you belong until you see that. So. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that story. And, yeah, and really, all of thank you so much for. I was the only African yeah, I, child in the school. Yeah, all the way. To be, yeah. She happened to be the second grade teacher. She was the only teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A, mm -hmm. Very powerful, very powerful argument. I wish you had been able to speak to the Supreme Court as they, I don't know if it would matter, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's a beautiful story and your whole life is, is a testament to it. So, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing so much of your, your history and your family history and your, and your work that you, that you're doing at the Women's Foundation. I strongly encourage people to check out 
your website, as I said, I'll have it on there and um, encourage them to attend the luncheon if possible, or just support you or any of the giving circles that you, mm-hmm. that you have uh, through the foundation, because that gives Thank people you. a chance. Maybe, maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with the giving circles, but I would encourage them to check that out. I, I know we can't go too much, too much past our time here, yeah, but we um, have many giving you're, vehicles, you're, many ways to participate. So, um, right. you know, they will learn all about that at the luncheon. And um, before we close, I also want to give a testimony to yeah. my mom, who I said taught college, right? Taught higher education at Spelman. My father was the dean of the School of Social Work. And later on, oh. um, after my father um, passed when I was 17, um, and she didn't have anything in her name, not surprising, right? Oh, you were only 17 when he passed? Yeah, I was only oh. 17. But, um, you know, and, and she, like so many women, had nothing in her name or whatever, right? Think about that in those times. Oh, yeah. But um, she went on to be on the board of uh, what was in Philip Morris, New York Life, Metropolitan Museum of Art, uh, really? Dance Theater of Harlem, and Lincoln Center. And mm. there is no question in my mind that her education right, also allowed her um, and her exposure to sit in those rooms as the first Black woman in, in, the, in that capacity with confidence um, and uh, to create change as well. So, you know, wow. her education, her exposure, uh, my parents who were born in the 20s were extraordinarily privileges for them and are girders for for my own success well they and must have team. they must have supported you and your team well, <laughs> but as you were, but just growing growing up though they they always made you know that you were you were meant to be in the places that you wanted to be that you belonged there as well i like your teacher did but they by demonstrating their success they really gave you an incredible lesson as well yeah but I also have to be confidence. honest, I had my failures, and we don't talk about that. I actually didn't graduate from Swarthmore, and that raises, you know, other um, issues as a result of a series of traumas, of which one was my father's death as I was starting um, mm. college and a series of other deaths and a violent uh, assault um, that I also experienced. But, you know... Ultimately, yes, I did know in my mind. I mean, I went back to school. I graduated from the University of Colorado at Denver. And the award of which I am most proud is, in fact, an honorary um, doctorate in humane letters that I received from them. But we don't talk enough. I didn't have the word trauma in my vocabulary. I didn't have the word depression. I didn't know how to ask. I felt embarrassed, you know. That's why I ended up leaving school was because I just sort of shut down. I didn't know how to have mm. help. And I think it's really important in these times as well that we're talking about those kinds of issues as well, uh, in particular mm. for women, um, that we can normalize, um, whether it's a, a chronic issue or whether it's circumstantial, uh, but that we're open to those. And I think it's also important for leaders to say, yeah, Sally Krawcheck, I think I'll talk about that uh, as well to say, 
some things didn't go so great. <laughs> Not everything. Thank you um, so much for good. sharing that. No, because you're right. You it, it it looks very glossy from the mm -hmm. oh, father, civil rights leader, and the and the dean, and your mother, you know, a professor at Spelman, and and. Mm -hmm. And look at you now and all that. But yes, of course, no life, no life. I don't care who you no are. No life. Um, so if we think it about it, really someone escape it but... if someone doesn't have child care, if someone is, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, if they don't have savings, mm. if they don't have health care, um, you know, if who am I to say I faced challenges, right? Um, all right. it has created for me is compassion and awareness. I spent mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. a part of a summer in Czechoslovakia during the Russian occupation in 1970. And uh, what I gained from that, from being in a country filled with Russian tanks, is a belief in democracy. So we must, we must fight for the full access to our democracy as well. Um, that, uh, whether it's voting rights and uh, helping people getting to the polls, right, on the most basic uh, level, whatever right, one that's... can do, um, mm -hmm. and ensure that our young people are not discouraged. So I continue to believe wholeheartedly in democracy um, and I continue, I must believe every single day that we will regain our equilibrium. I know. Um, like Maybe it's hard to say saying, because it's been. Yeah, our balance. We need to regain our sense of yeah. ourselves and our humanity um, as a country. They say that you know, uh, you know, the arm always swings toward justice. I have to believe that, that we are a country that believes in justice and that we will um, achieve for everyone, every human being in this country, um, the opportunity and the pathway to opportunity that we all deserve. Thank you so much for You're everything welcome, that you Deborah. shared Thank with you us. Thank you for having me. Very inspiring and hopeful. Thank you. Well, I'll look, thank I'll look you. forward to seeing you at the luncheon. Oh, that sounds fabulous. And um, <laughs> Save me please a let us know if you need more information. And thank you to your listeners for spending a little time with us. And you inspired them greatly, I, I know. So thank you.